people using their gifts and their talents and God's hand uh, is clearly on uh, Alyssa and uh, just grateful for her using her gifts to glorify God and to uh, enhance our time of worship here this morning. And so it has already been a blessed day and it's about to get even more so because we are going to open God's Word and allow Him to speak to us daily. And I encourage you to grab your Bible, open it up to Colossians chapter 4. This morning we will be in the book of Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 through 6. The title of the sermon is People of Evangelism. When you hear the term evangelism, for some folks it's a pretty intimidating word. It means to witness or to share your faith. And then when the preacher or someone tells you that the Bible commands you to share your faith, the emotion that comes over many of us is fear or inadequacy. And it's that, that fear and that sense of inadequacy that prevents most of us from doing the thing the Bible tells us that we are supposed to do. But as we have gone through this sermon series entitled Peace on Earth, we have been building towards this crescendo. We have looked already that uh, as Christians we have received God's peace, we are the recipients of peace, and we are then called to to give God's peace, to share God's peace on earth with those around us. And we've discussed how do we do that? And so we've taken each letter of the word peace and, and looked at ways in which we can, can be that vehicle, that conduit for peace. And we talked about people of prayer. We are to pray for our church and pray that we would be everything the church is called to be. We've talked about encouragement, that we would be people of encouragement, that we would be lifting up one another and motivating one another and challenging each other and holding each other accountable to do what God has called us to do as individuals. We've talked about awareness, that God has called us to be aware of, of our times, to understand the times in which we are living in and to, to be wise and look for opportunities to, to bring God's peace to our community and to this world. Then last time we talked about people of compassion, that we are to be like Jesus. He is our example. He is our role model in how we are to bring God's love, God's compassion to those around us who are hurting, those who are in need, and, and to not only respond with compassion, but be intentional as the church and as Christians to take this message of hope to a world around us that is hopeless to love people in tangible ways, in practical ways, to make a difference in lives in the name of Jesus. Finally, today we've come to the last letter, letter E, people of evangelism. That means to share the good news. And that's what we are called to do. If we are going to see God's peace reign on earth, if we're going to see God's peace reign in the hearts and lives of those we care about and those around us, we have got to share this message of hope because, folks, without the gospel, there is no peace. There is no peace with God apart from hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. And the only way people are going to hear this saving message and this message of peace is if we speak and tell them this good news. So you and I are called to bring God's peace on earth by sharing the only true message of peace with others. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way we can truly see God's peace on earth. Let me invite you to stand, if you're able to this morning, in reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God. 
I'll be reading from Colossians chapter 4, starting at verse 2. And here the Apostle Paul writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Let's pray together. Father, we have assembled today as your church here on earth. We have assembled, God, to to worship you, to, to pray, and to encourage. We have gathered so that we would be made aware and so that we would have the opportunity, God, to, to be compassionate like Jesus to the world around us. And Father, today as we open the word, we see once again the reality that we have been saved because of the the work of Christ and the message of Christ that brings faith. And Father, in the same way that you have saved our souls, we are called then, Lord, to be the channel of blessing, to take the same message that saved us and proclaim it to the world around us. Father, as we are intimidated as we are fearful, as we are inadequate to this task, Lord, I pray the Spirit would strengthen our hearts today. Help us, God, understand this text before us, God, and help, it, help us, God, apply this in our lives. May we truly be people of evangelism. And it's only by your grace, and it is solely for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may have a seat. The book of Colossians in which we are in today is a letter by the Apostle Paul to a church in the city of Colossae. And it is known as one of the prison epistles, one of the letters that Paul wrote when he was under house arrest in Rome. And he wrote it to this church to speak about primarily the preeminence of Christ. That they were a church that was under attack by false teaching. And Paul sought to remind that church that Christ who He is and what He has done, that Christ is everything, that Christ is sufficient, that Jesus is enough, and Jesus is superior, deserving of our full worship and our heartfelt devotion. And as Paul wrote this letter, we have broken it down into four chapters. The first two chapters deal with primarily doctrinal issues. Paul sought to to teach this church certain truths about Christ and about the gospel. The final two chapters are primarily practical where Paul takes this this message of the gospel and then seeks to apply it to to folks, to the church, to show how we are to live as Christians. And in this text we have before us today, there are two commands Paul gives to those Christians and through Scripture, God gives these commands to you and I today. The first command is devote yourself to prayer. It spells it out for us in verse 2. I didn't have to come up with anything clever here. It just says, devote yourselves to prayer. I felt like I couldn't do any better than that. So there you go. That's our first point. It is a command. It's, a, it's an imperative. The word devote is. 
It's a present active command. That means it's something that you are to do now and you are to keep on doing. It's also second person plural, and I've shared this uh, grammar lesson with you all before. Second person plural, that means y'all, right? It means everybody, all y'all are supposed to do this. And so we look at it in those terms. We are commanded to devote ourselves now. All of us are called to devote ourselves now and to keep on devoting ourselves. And the word devote means to persist. And so the force of it is kind of doubly uh, emphasized for us. Persist on persisting. To keep persisting in prayer, literally in petition, and in, in praying for others as Paul spells it out for us here in a few verses, we are to keep on persisting in petition for others. And in a very real way, you've seen here already, this series has come full circle. We began our study with peace on earth when talking about prayer. We are to pray for the church and pray for the members of the church and the ministry of the church. And here Paul shows us at the very end, even as we think about evangelism and sharing our faith, prayer needs to be a very real component of that that we can never have peace apart from prayer. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. And as we do that, what are we supposed to do? Well, Paul shows us a couple of things here. First of all, retain a grateful mindset. A grateful mindset. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Of thanksgiving. And so that reminds us that, that prayer is an act of humility that we humbly acknowledge that God has given us something that we did not deserve. And God allows us to come to Him in prayer, in conversation, even though we have sinned against Him. God has saved us, and so we humbly acknowledge our dependence on Him. And prayer is also a reminder to us of something supernatural, that there is a power, and there is an authority, and, and there is action that takes place that we cannot generate on our own. We can try to be good and faithful witnesses on our own, but we can only do so much. It is through prayer that true evangelism begins to take place. So Paul says, with an attitude of thanksgiving over what God has done for us and what God continues to do in and through us, we have a, a grateful mindset. And so when you pray with a grateful mindset, first of all, it gives you mental alertness. Because notice what Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert keeping alert in it. That means more than just not falling asleep when you pray. It means to be awake and to be watchful. As you pray, be mindful that God is at work in your life. And God is at work in this world. And as you pray and you're watchful, you are looking for God and His handiwork and where God is calling you to join in with Him. And God in His grace allows us the blessing of working with Him in evangelism. Mental alertness, keeping alert, staying watchful. In fact, Jesus commanded His disciples to do this very same thing in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right before He was arrested, as He was praying, He told His disciples, keep watching and keep praying. It's Mark chapter 14, verse 38. So with a grateful mindset, it gives us mental alertness. We are alert to the things of God and the work of God and how we are to be awake and watchful. But also it gives a sense of moral readiness. 
of moral readiness. Every time in the New Testament we have this, this imagery of, of being watchful and, and of being awake and being alert, it usually has a connection with that to the second coming of Christ. That we are to be morally ready for that return. Because the New Testament clearly teaches us the return of Christ could be at any moment. And so we have got to be watching and expecting that and living in light of that soon return of Christ. A moral sense of readiness. And so that grateful mindset reminds us of what God has done, what God is doing, and what He will do in the future. A grateful mindset in prayer. But also we are to remember gospel ministers as we pray. Remember gospel ministers. Paul says in verse 3, it says, praying at the same time for us, for us, the apostles, the, the missionaries, the ministers. Paul had already prayed for that church. And he, and, he sh- and he shows that to them in chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Then in verse 9 of chapter 1, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul says, we are praying for you. We're asking you to return the favor. Pray for us. At the same time, pray for us. So that shows us that when you pray for ministers, you pray for pastors, and you pray for teachers and missionaries, in a very real sense, you cooperate with them and you participate in that ministry with them. Even though you yourself may not be called to be a vocational missionary or a vocational pastor, you still cooperate and participate with those who are called when you pray for them. And Paul reminds them of that. And Paul also shows them how to specifically pray. It's one thing for somebody to say, pray for me, and so you might just pray in a general sense. But Paul shows specifically how to do that. First of all, pray that God provides an opportunity. In verse 3, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Paul is praying for a gospel opportunity. Paul here is in prison. Paul is under house arrest. Paul's not necessarily praying for his, his freedom, his deliverance, although I'm sure he would have appreciated that. But specifically, Paul is praying for an open door, that God would open a door, that God would provide an opportunity for him to do something. It's that opportunity, that open door for the Word. What is the Word? Paul talks about then speaking forth the mystery of Christ. The truth that Jesus, that God through Christ, through Jesus, God has sought to reconcile lost sinners to himself. That Jews, along with Gentiles, through God's plan, through Christ Jesus, are brought into a saving relationship with him. That even though we have sinned against God and deserve God's wrath and God's justice, in Christ, God has saved us. And Paul is praying that that word, that mystery of Christ, would be spoken by him. That God would provide him an open door, an opportunity, so that he could speak forth this saving message. So pray that God would provide opportunities, but also pray that God would provide credibility. Not only opportunity, but credibility. He says in verse 3, that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have been imprisoned. Paul says, I am literally in jail. I'm literally under arrest. 
because I've spoken the gospel, as I've told people about Jesus. Paul says, I am willing to suffer imprisonment for the sake of the word for the mystery of Christ. Difficult times would come our way. Maybe you're in a difficult time right now. Maybe you've just come out of one or maybe you're about ready to go into one and you don't even know what's coming. Same for me. But difficult times will test our faith. But you know what they also do? They provide others who are watching us with a sense that what we believe is truly genuine. When your faith withstands suffering and difficulty, the world around you sees that. And it provides credibility to your message. It's easy to tell people, hey, Jesus loves you when everything is going great in your life. But when it looks like all is falling apart and you can still open your mouth and testify to somebody that God is good and that Jesus deserves all the praise, when you can do that in the midst of difficulty, it provides credibility to what you are saying. So Paul is praying that for an opportunity for credibility but also, Paul prays that God would provide clarity in verse 4, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Ought to speak. Paul says, God has called me to speak, and I ought to do it. But when I do it, I pray I do it clearly. I pray that God would give me the clarity I need. And sharing our faith and witnessing to somebody, we are taking this awesome message of God. And we are seeking to make the unknown known to those around us. And that can be intimidating to us, even when we know some of the phraseology of sharing our faith and of the gospel. But think about those who have no idea, those who have never heard words like sanctification and, and, and evangelism and, and the gospel. What is the, what, are you, what are you talking about? So we need to make it clear. And I am so grateful for, for doctors, mechanics, computer technicians, and those who are, are very skilled in what they do when they can bring it down to my level and talk in such a way that I get it. You know, because people who are highly uh, specialized in their training, they, they have words and they have phrases and they know what they're saying and it makes them sound very intelligent, but I don't always get it. You know, give it to me. Put it down on the bottom shelf. Put the cookies on the bottom shelf so I can get it. I'm very grateful when people can do that. And what I think we'll see whenever we begin to share our faith and tell other people about Jesus, if we just bring it down on that basic level and make it clear as we ought to speak, they will appreciate us doing that for them. Paul talks about making it plain, making it clear. And so to me that means having gospel conversations with people. We don't need to have an uh, articulated outline and we don't need to have a, a uh, very systematic approach by which we share the gospel. Really it just comes out in conversation. It should just flow in, in, the, in the basis of conversation. Being able to take what we're talking about and be able to turn it towards the things of God or, or at the most hear somebody bring up something about the things of God and your Holy Spirit radar needs to go off at that point and say, they're talking about the things of God and the devil is not causing that to happen. 
Their flesh is not leading them to speak about the things of the Lord. The Holy Spirit's up to something. And we need to be willing to seize on that and be able to tell them the good news of Christ. So first of all, devote yourselves to prayer. As we think about ministry, and we think about sharing the good news of Jesus, devote yourself to prayer. Secondly, conduct yourself with prudence, with wisdom. Paul says in verse 5, conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders. Again, this is an imperative, it's a command, conduct yourself. Second person plural, that means all y'all need to do it this way. It's a present active word. That means you are to keep on doing it. Conduct yourself now. All y'all conduct yourself now and keep on conducting yourself in this way. Conduct yourself. Use caution. Literally, it means to walk. Walk in wisdom around those who are outside. Towards the outsiders. Outside of what? Outside of the church. Outside of Christ. Outside of peace. Walk wisely. Conduct yourself with wisdom around those who are outside of a gospel-saving relationship with Jesus. Exercise caution. Use wisdom. So that means, first of all, you've got to use your time wisely. Use your time wisely. I mentioned earlier that we have such a small window of opportunity in which to make a difference for the kingdom of God that we need to have lives that are completely sold out for the Lord. But so oftentimes we put our own agendas and our own comfort and our, and our own ideas ahead of, of actual ministry, of things that will make a difference. You know, when you die, all these the things you accumulate, all these things won't matter anymore. But what does matter when you stand before God and you offer up to Him a life of service in His name? Use your time wisely. And that means you need to seize the chance to witness. In verse 5, Paul says, Conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Redeeming the time. We've got that small opportunity, that small time in which to make a difference. And Paul says, make the most of it. I mean, you've got to seize that opportunity. When someone, as I said earlier, when someone brings up church or someone brings up God and religion, that's your opportunity and you need to seize it. It's there. It's right before you. And don't allow fear or inadequacy to keep you from sharing your faith because when you do that, you're letting the devil win. When you open your mouth and you tell somebody that Jesus loves them and Jesus died for them, you know what you're doing? You are slapping the devil across his face. He's saying, you're trying to drag that soul to hell with you. It ain't going to happen. I'm, I'm going to share the gospel, and this is warfare, and I'm going to stick it to you, devil. You're not going to have the opportunity to rob me of the blessing of telling somebody about Jesus. You need to seize the chance to witness those divine opportunities, those divine appointments God sends people our way. And sometimes we just keep our mouths closed. And why do we do that? Seize the chance, but also make the chance to witness. This means that we need to be intentional. As we are intentional about taking compassion to those who are hurting, we need to be very intentional about taking the good news of Jesus to those who are lost. 
That means that we need to be intentional about building relationships with lost people. If you don't know anybody in your circle of influence that needs Christ, here's what you need to do. You need to pray that God would send somebody your way that's lost. And somebody that you can establish a relationship with. The most effective form of evangelism is when you share the good news with somebody who knows you and trusts you. Cold call evangelism, sometimes that works. But typically the most effective way of sharing your faith is when someone observes your life and observes your witness. And somebody that you build a relationship with and somebody knows that, that, that he or she cares about me. And they're, they're not just trying to give me a sales pitch with Jesus. They're, they're sincere. They care about my soul. And so we need to make the chance to witness, be intentional and proactive, and display the compassion of Christ by building these relationships and making it a priority. Lord, I want to witness to so-and-so. Provide me that chance, and then go answer your own prayer and make that chance happen. Use your time wisely, making the most of the opportunity, redeeming the time. But also choose your words wisely, Paul shows us that in verse 6. Paul says, let your speech. Paul's already talking about speaking and, and, and speaking forth the mystery of Christ. Now Paul says, let your speech. So I think what Paul is reminding that church, the very thing that I'm called to do and you're praying for me to do, Paul says, you need to be doing it too. It's not just the professional pastors and evangelists that are called to share their faith. We're all called to do that. In fact, there's probably some of y'all in here who are saved because somebody who wasn't a professional minister witnessed to you. It's not always the professional clergy that are doing this. We're all called to do it. Paul says, choose your words wisely, your speech. There's a verbal witness to this. Now, we are to, to, to be a, uh, a witness with our lifestyle. People are to watch us and, and, and witness holiness in the way we live. But you know, no one's going to be saved just because they see that you're a good person. Because there are atheists that, by our very definition, are good people, good moral people, outstanding in their character. And they do good things for people. Nobody's going to be saved by watching us do good things. Watching us do good things will add credibility, as I said earlier. Because if they're watching our lifestyle and our lips and our lives don't match up, we're hypocrites. So that means you need to open your mouth and you need to speak. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. People need to hear that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and that Jesus was raised from the dead. People need to hear this. And so as you choose your words wisely, your message is important, Paul says in verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace. And so the, the, the message you speak, a gracious message, a message about grace that, that can be interpreted both ways. And in fact, both ways are true. You can't be gracious apart from God's grace. You can't speak about God's grace without being gracious. Those two things go together. And so your message is important. Always focused on God's grace. 
So it means we need to speak about the reality of our sin. We've all sinned against God, a holy God, who will and must punish and judge sin. However, we need to speak about the love of God and the grace of God that Christ Jesus came and died on a cross in our place. God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We talk about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. That's the gospel message. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 15. Death, burial, resurrection of Christ is the gospel. And then we are to call on people... As Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. Tell people about the reality of sin, also the love of God in Christ, and then call upon them to make a decision. Turn from their sin and trust in Jesus to be saved. So if you can do that, you have shared the gospel. It's that simple. And use your own testimony in this. Your story, your life before Christ, how you got saved, and how Jesus has made a difference in your life. That's a perfect opportunity right there. Share the good news. So your message is important, but also your manner is important, that you are gracious. And Paul also uses the phrase here that that your speech should always be seasoned with salt. Some of you all like salt, and some of you all like salt a lot. And some of it's not good for your health if you have too much salt. And he's not talking about being salty either in your uh, personality. He's talking about using salt. What does that mean? Now, now salt, we know, is, is a source of flavor. It's also a preservative that prevents decay. So as you're speaking to others, I think it, need, it, it says that you need to be personable and believable and that your personality needs to come out in that. It's not just some kind of a, a bland and plain speech. It is your life, and you're speaking with honesty and integrity and compassion. And you're speaking in such a way that what you're saying is not only believable, but it's what you're saying is actually preferable. That you would interest someone and draw their attention to what you are saying. And again, it's not going to be some kind of a, a pre-packaged thing where you're trying to sell somebody on something, but they observe the genuineness of your faith and of your speech. It's seasoned with salt and preserved from decay because what you are telling them can literally save their soul from hell. And your speech is seasoned with that salt that's meant to preserve from decay. What you're saying is powerful. And so how you are to respond, Paul says, to each person so that you will know with wisdom how to respond. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, but sanctify Christ in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So the message that you share is important, but also the manner in which you share your message is also important. Because in saying what you say, in saying it the right way, your Christian belief and your Christian behavior will shine through. And the goal in evangelism is simply share the truth. 
share the truth. Leave the rest up to God. So if we are to be people of peace, we are to be people of evangelism. That means bring God's peace on earth by sharing the only true message of peace with others. And so what do you do with this? What do we do with what we've read today? Here's your assignment this week for every one of you all. First of all, if you're not a Christian, your assignment number one is get saved. <laughs> all right, Put your faith and trust in Jesus and turn from your sin. But if you are a Christian here today, here's your assignment for this week. And this comes straight from the text here today. You are to pray and you are to present. First of all, you are to pray. You are to pray for an opportunity. As Paul said, y'all pray for me that God will open a door that I can speak forth the word, the mystery of Christ. So you are to pray for your pastor. And by the way, when you all pray for me and you tell me you pray for me, boy, that just lights my fire. Thank you all for praying for me as I pray for you. And when you pray for somebody, let them know, hey, I prayed for you today. What a blessing that is. What a gift. Somebody says, I prayed for you this morning. It's like, yes, thank you. Pray for an opportunity. Pray for those who are lost. Pray for the lost. As I was reflecting on this sermon this week, I went back in the year 2013. We participated in a campaign called Find It Here. Y'all remember Find It Here? And what we did in that is that we sought to pray for those who were lost and pray for an opportunity, and then we would present them with gospel material and seek to uh, have a gospel conversation. So we prayed for those who were lost, and we came up with a list of names we had 84 names on this specific list I had typed out. And when we put that out, other people hand-wrote other names on that. So the list grew over that. But out of the 84 names, we were praying for their salvation. We had spiritual concerns for them. And I got to looking over the names that were on here. Unfortunately, some of the names that were on here are no longer with us. Some of these individuals have slipped into eternity, and we pray that by God's grace that they were able to hear and respond to the gospel. So that was sobering. But something that was very encouraging to me, number 27 on this list of names, Joel Helmberg. God answered that prayer. Number 68, Logan Rader. 69, Isaac Lowry. 70, Isaiah Lowry. 76, Kayla Pruitt. 78, Becky Gilmore. 80 and 81, Jamie and Regina Pruitt rededicated their lives to Christ. So folks, what that, what that tells me is that prayer works. Prayer is effective. We prayed for these individuals by name. God heard our prayers and God saved their souls. There's still many names on this list, of course, that have not made a decision yet. And so that's what we need to do. We need to be praying for these folks. And, and I think it's probably a good time maybe we put together another prayer list like that. We have our cottage prayer meetings and we have names on there. We pray for their salvation. We ask for that on Wednesday nights, but maybe it's an opportunity for us to come up with another master list. It's been five years, and so maybe we'll have another master list and we'll make that a priority again. You'll be praying for somebody you know that's lost. Think of this individual. We, almost all of us know somebody that needs Jesus. Think of them. Pray for them. Pray for their salvation. Pray for an opportunity to witness. It's assignment number one. Just one person, if you can do that. Pray for one lost person this week and pray for a chance to witness to them. And secondly, present the gospel. 
seize whatever opportunity you have to tell them about Christ. And then, if that doesn't happen, make the opportunity. Make the phone call this week. Set up a time to get together. And then when the moment comes, tell them, God loves you. Christ died for you. Would you put your faith and trust in Jesus? That's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for somebody who needs Christ. Pray for the boldness and the courage and the wisdom to know what to say and when to say it and how to say it. Season it with some salt. Add a little flavor to it. Make it your own words, your own heart. And let them know you genuinely care and are concerned that they would be saved and spend eternity in heaven. Pray for somebody lost. Share the gospel with them this week. And you know what I've found out? When you have that fear and that trepidation about evangelism and witnessing, when you do it, it's not as scary as you thought it would be. It's like, wow, that's surprisingly easy. And then the more you do it, the easier it gets, the more comfortable you get in it. But it just takes, you just got to jump in. You know, try to dip your toe in the pool, and it's like, ah, it's too cold, I don't want to get in. Just jump in. Just jump in, share your faith with somebody. And folks, I'll confess with you today, confess to you, there have been times I've sh- I have failed at witnessing. It's not whenever I made a, a, a presentation and the person didn't get saved. That's not failure. It's not that I shared my faith with somebody and they, ha- and they asked me questions and I didn't know the answers. That's not failure at evangelism. When it comes to witnessing, the only way to fail is not to tell. And there's been times I could have told somebody about Christ and I didn't. And afterwards, the Holy Spirit beats me up over that and I feel miserable. Then take that as motivation that the next time it comes around that you'll do it. Because, ladies and gentlemen, there may not be a next time. Some of the names on this list have passed on into eternity. Some of us may pass on to eternity before we get the opportunity to witness to somebody. The person that you're thinking of right now that needs Jesus, they may not be here tomorrow. And folks, Christ Jesus may return today for his bride and to judge the world. All these things need to show us there is a sense of urgency to what we need to do. And if you truly care about people and love people, you'll tell them about Jesus. Invite them to church. That's awesome. That's not fully telling people about Jesus. That's, that's hoping they'll come to church and hear about Jesus. And that's great. Keep doing that. But at some point, you need to open your mouth and tell somebody, hey, Jesus loves you, and he died for you. Your assignment this week, prayer, number one, present, number two. Because the bottom line is this, a witnessing life is a worshiping life. When you tell somebody about Christ, that is an act of worship. I already said it's an act of warfare. You tell somebody about Jesus, you are sticking it to the devil. And he don't like that. A witnessing life is a worshiping life. 
You demonstrate your love for Jesus. It's a thankful response to a gracious God who saved your soul through that message. You're taking that exact same message that saved you and you're telling it to somebody else. Plant the seed and water it. And then watch God. He alone. Watch Him cause the growth. Let's pray together. Father, we come before You in Jesus' name today.